Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Element City Church. We are thrilled to have you here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can clap. Um, so, um, <clears throat> glad to have you here. Glad to have you watching online if you are joining us from online. But So, um, we're glad to have you here. If you happen to be in the room and you happen to be new, I know I met a few of you. Just want to remind you, we do a 10-minute party that lasts less than 10 minutes right in that back corner, right after service. I'd love to meet you, kind of hear your story a little bit, and we'd love to connect with you. We do that in a couple different ways. So, you can either download our free app, Elements City Church, in your app store, and go down to the connection card. It's your name, email, phone number, we get connected, and we'll just send you one text over the next five weeks, kind of walk with you, find a connection around here, or you can text the word hello uh, to 520-340-6868, and that'll get you that connection card, and we can follow along that way. So, thrilled to have you here. Um, we, we survived all the rain. Anyone flood? Okay, we're good. There's a lot of rain. I saw someone building an ark. It was crazy. Um, so, but we are uh, glad to be together tonight. Uh, we're going to continue on in our series. We're going to worship here a little bit. We'll look into God's word. We'll end with some worship. So that's kind of where we're going. If you're here in the room, I'm going to ask that you stand up. We're going to start off with the word of prayer. And if you're at home, you can stand if you want. But we're going to pray for the church of the week. We do this every week. Uh, there's a different church of the week that we are praying for, 100 plus churches around this city. Uh, we have a million plus people in southern Arizona that aren't connected into any faith community. And so we, it takes more than just our church. It takes the church uh, to make a difference in this city. And we want to pray for LifePoint Church and Pastor Andy Tracy and Daniel Hartman, who are real special to us. And uh, we appreciate those guys a lot and uh, really value what they're doing. They are actually breaking ground soon on a new church property. And so we want to pray a God's blessing over that whole process. And I don't know if you guys know, like, there's supply chain issues and like inflation. And so like there's a lot of stuff. You guys probably know. Um, but let's pray for them and pray for God's blessing over our evening together tonight. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for just the ways that we can pause tonight to be still and know that you are good and that you are God. And so Father, we ask that in our time together tonight, that you would just minister to our hearts, you'd meet us in a special, refreshing way as we put our heart's attention to worship you. God, we pray for Daniel and, and Andrew at uh, LifePoint Church. God, we ask your blessing over them and all the endeavors that they're doing, all the ways that they're ministering to families in Northwest Tucson. We're asking that you would help them in the church building process that they're in, that you'd bless them with the resources they need, that you'd bless them with wisdom and discernment to continue to make a difference as we try to make a dent uh, in the people that you're searching for in our city. We ask your best blessing over Tucson and over the people that you long to see connected into faith community. So, Holy Spirit, would you minister to our hearts tonight? Would you mingle in our presence? And we would leave different because we had met with you. Father, for each one of us, we're at a different place in our journey, different place in our search for spiritual matters and spiritual things. And so we're just asking Jesus, would you be at work tonight as we worship you now, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Ah! 
gonna need you to sing a little louder. Here we go.
walking around these walls I thought by now they fall That you have never failed me
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. If faithfulness gosh you're so faithful and time and time again man I just feel like the last few weeks Lord you've been reminding me of just how faithful you are that no matter what storm no matter what disappointments no matter what celebration there you are showing up in the little ways, sometimes big ways, but always there and always faithful. And man, I'm just so thankful. We are so thankful that you love us enough. Man, you pursue us. You wanna pull us in so that we might know your love your character, who you are, your mercy, your grace, because gosh, darn it, this world can be so confusing sometimes. So many counterfeit representations of who you are, Father. I pray that we as a church would bear our cross well, that we would pursue you and understand your grace, your mercy, your love, your character, your unfailing And we know you're gonna show up time and time again. So we put our faith in you, God. You're here, you're on the move. I pray for, for Jack as he shares tonight. Lord, when we leave this building, we wanna just man, maybe have a little bit better understanding of what it means to live like your son, Jesus. We wanna to try to put it into practice, maybe just a little bit more than we did last week. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would permeate into our hearts, Lord, your goodness. We worship you. It's all about you, Father. So be on the move tonight. We know you're here. We're excited to see what you have to do, what you have for us, Lord. We love you. Amen. You guys can have a seat.
Amen. God is faithful when the mics work and when they don't, when life is good and when life's a struggle. And uh, may you, friend, experience that more and more. His faithfulness be receptive into your heart. And, um, you know, if you're new, and and I especially want to say if you're new watching online, uh, because I I know it takes courage coming to a place, and that might be some of you who might be new, so thanks for taking a chance on us. But even tuning in online, maybe you've been on a spiritual journey, maybe someone invited you and said, hey, just watch from home. But it takes courage even just showing up for that, just to, to say, hey, listen, I think I need my life to be a little bit Different. I think I just need to find a different trajectory of where I'm going. And and uh, I, you're tuning into a series this month in the month of August that I think um, can be really, really, like really helpful for you. Uh, and so if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I just want to encourage you to go back online or go back through the app and catch back up later on this week or uh, if you're, maybe you're tuning in even this Wednesday watching this, uh, just that you would go back and that you would catch it because I think there's some helpful tools in here that can help you and I as we kind of navigate our thought life and what does the scripture have to say about our thoughts and, and that if we can get the, the thoughts of what the scripture says about the truth and what we can live in, it'll actually help us live a better life. And so tonight, uh, this is my favorite message in this whole series, so I'm going to try to keep it under 50 minutes. I'm kidding, Lyle. Uh, but like, so um, <clears throat> we've been debating about who's going to go longer, and uh, <clears throat> Lyle has been in the lead right now, but uh, tonight, so I'm going to try not to take the lead uh, back. That was a total jab. Sorry, man. Love you. Um, so Uh, We all battle dangerous perceptions and broken soundtracks uh, that play in the background of our mind, whether that's from our growing up experiences where maybe things people said at you or over you or whispered or you picked up some mantras of the world and you kind of chased after them and and they they promised some things that didn't really deliver. But here's the truth. The good news is that God has a way and desires for us to empower us to live by changing our thinking. And, And when you change your thinking, you can actually begin to change your life. And so the principles we're looking at is, hey, if we can get, figure out what the scriptures have to say about our thought life, can actually begin to help us live the best life in that. We've been taking this series from a book called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. Uh, and we actually have, I think, a couple more of those books available in the lobby. If you want to pick them up, they're 15 bucks. You can get them on Amazon. If you, are, uh, you don't want to buy the book, but you want something for free... Um, so, uh, if you go to Uversion, you can actually download the Bible reading plan that goes with the book. It's like seven days. It'll kind of whet your appetite a little bit, and then maybe you'll want to pick up the book. I highly recommend it. If you're a person who struggles with your own thought life, who's, is, who, who's maybe you would say, if we were sitting at coffee and it was just you and I, and you can say, listen, I just, I've got some broken soundtracks that I, I find myself listening to over and over. I know they're not true, but I just, I just like believe that they're true, and it just kind of takes me down places. And if that's you, I'm telling you, I think this could be really helpful for you uh, and can give you some handles on life because what we think shapes who we are and the who we're becoming. 
It really does matter. So just a quick recap. We, the very first week we said, hey, you got to learn to recognize those strongholds that the enemy builds within our own hearts and our own minds that kind of, it could be mantras of the world, it could be lies, it could be whatever that is, whatever the stronghold is that maybe is the most predominant one in your life. Learn how to, to seize that, go recognize it, and then begin to replace that with God's truth. We drilled down last uh, week, so it was the idea of recognize it, and then you got to rewire your brain and that we all have neural patterns pathways, and you don't just change by behavior modification. you got to change by creating new neural pathways, which means I've got to dig a trench of God's truth in my life that can actually begin to steer me toward better things. And so we've got to learn this. We kind of looked at this verse last week, so here's a couple different translations of it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I just want to challenge you to memorize this verse. You pick whatever translation you want to memorize it in, but it says, look, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Your mind plays such a huge part of your life and the trajectory of where you go. I love how the New Living says it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you to a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, the truth is, you and I, were all being conformed, molded in one way or the other, either conformed or molded into the ways of the world around us or into God's wisdom and his direction and his insight. And you and I get to choose. You are the captain of your soul. And you get to choose what you're going to listen to or what you're going to have mold or conform you. And so am I. And so often where the enemy gets us sideways or kind of sidetracked is he gets us to believe things that are not true and to begin to walk them out as truth, and they get us stuck in life. And so tonight I want to go a little bit further uh, and begin to drill down into the third principle. So it's recognize, you got to rewire, and then tonight it's this idea of reframing. You, you and I have got to figure out how to reframe some of our negative thoughts. How many of you have ever had a negative thought before? Perfect. Uh, we're all, it's an all skate. We're all part of that. Uh, we've all had this idea of negative thoughts where we battle this sense of pessimism or bleakness or despondency or gloom or defeatism. And so we've got to figure out how to reframe some things because you and I know, okay, every time I have a thought, I'm creating a neural pathway. And the more you think that thought, it's actually kind of smoothing that from a neural pathway to a neural highway and because it's making it happen. And if you want to change, that could be for a good thing uh, or that could be for a bad thing. And, and so you've got to figure out how to do this. And today, I want to explore a little bit more of what Craig talks about in his book and what uh, psychologists talk about is cognitive bias. Uh, you have them, and so do I. Cognitive bias, or some might refer to it as kind of your mental filter of how you see the world. We all have cognitive biases that can cause us to see things in certain ways. Because remember this, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. And we might say a lens with a distorted view might make lies seem like they are true. Social psychologists have a name for a distorted lens. It's called a cognitive bias. The term refers to this idea, the standardized, consistent pattern of deviating from reality and how we see and process things. That was a lot of words. Um, okay, so let me give you a simple definition. Uh, cognitive bias is this idea of a mistake in reasoning based on personal experience or preferences. 
If you have a cognitive bias, you are creating a subjective reality that may not be a full reality or a full picture of reality. You're kind of recreating reality in your own, the way you see it. Uh, and this may seem complicated, but it's actually easier, and it's probably a whole lot more prevalent than you realize. In fact, for some of you, um, and I hope this doesn't uh, touch a nerve, but here's the reality I know to be true and what you know to be true in a society and a culture in which we live. For some of you, this might be true for you. Uh, for some of you ladies, you may have experienced some difficult and challenging times in your past from men. And uh, men, you may have caused some of this, or even in your own household, you may have experienced. And so, ladies, maybe you've had some bad experiences with men, with a father, with whatever in your past. And so, you bring a bias into every time you see and meet a new man. You may have a mental cognitive bias that begins to frame people in a certain way. Now, not all men are bad. Not all men are broken or abusive or uh, aggravating in that way. Okay, all men are aggravating, but like, it's just, like they may not cause to that extent. But this idea that you may actually enter into any new relationship or any new friendship or any new uh, kind of connection with a, a cognitive bias that frames and begins to kind of filter how you see things. And I'm sorry for that, if that's true. But we know it goes way beyond that. It goes way beyond to every different thing that you look at. Uh, for some of you, you may have grown up in a context where um, maybe your filter was, okay, you was financially tight growing up in your household, growing up in your kind of demographic, in, in the reality of what you knew in your growing up years. And maybe your family, your grandparents, maybe they talked bad about people who had wealth, and how wrong it was. And now as a young adult, you've actually done fairly well for yourself. And you actually have some resource, but you deal with a tape of shame that actually begins to steer how you approach your resources because you are, you've grown up in years of just hearing how bad wealthy people are. And here's the truth. The scripture never says money is evil. What it does say, the truth, is that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is, is not evil, but the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. Do so you see how this can, just a little small twist, can begin to change your filter? We all know how filters work. How many of you have Instagram? How many of you are on the TikTok? How many of you are on Snapchat? How many of you are on Bookface? Okay, just whatever. I think you're on something. Um, and the reality is, like, you, you know how filters work. Some of you have taken pictures, and you're like, you go to post it, and you're like, that picture's not good enough. And so you spend the next half an hour scrolling through what filter's going to make it pop and what's going to make it better, right? Uh, maybe you've had a picture that you really liked, and then your kids get a hold of your phone, and they put a filter on it of like Mickey Mouse or like a dork filter, and it makes you look like a dork, and then they post it. I'm not bitter. Uh, so, but this idea, like you, maybe you've experienced it. I mean, hypothetically, just talking. Uh, so like just this idea of filters change things. And the truth is our cognitive bias is kind of like your default filter and how you see the world around you. This is why two people, can respond completely different to the exact same scenario. 
Tell me if this is true for maybe your workplace. You might have a boss. Maybe you've seen this play out with coworkers. Certainly not you, but coworkers. And um, maybe the boss has come to two different coworkers and has some critique for them. And in offering critique, one person receives it as, thank you for pointing that out. That's actually going to really help me. And I appreciate you bringing that up. And then the other person has the exact same conversation, same scenario. And that person, when the boss walks away, turns to you and says, who does she think she is <laughs> telling me that? I've been here longer. What in the world is that? She want me to tell her something? Right? <laughs> same verbiage, different filter. And friend, you know this works out in your life, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the not so good. And filters have a way of shaping how we see things. That's what cognitive bias is. Let me give you a biblical example. Uh, if you go read Numbers, which is in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, you're going to read about uh, the whole exodus of the people of Israel making their way to the promised land, right? And so as they're traveling there, they get closer to the promised land. Moses says to 12 different spies, okay, I want you to go spy out the land, kind of get a, a survey of what's going on, and come back and bring a report, because this is the land that the Lord, remember he did all these incredible miracles, He's moved a million plus people across the desert, kept them alive for a while, getting to the promised land, has promised the land, we are going to inherit this land, we are getting ready to go in. Twelve spies go out, spy out the land, come back to Moses, and you know what happens. If you don't know, let me tell you. Two people come back, Caleb and Joshua, and they say, this land is awesome! It's just flowing with milk and honey. This is the right kind of land. God is so good to us. And so let's go take the land. And the other 10 go, whoa, 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 whoa. Bricks. I don't know what you guys saw, but this land is crawling with giants. In fact, these giants, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, side note. I am very, very doubtful that those 10 spies actually went like an eyewitness reporter up to one of the giants and said, would you please tell us what we look like to you? I'm taking notes to take back. And they described them as grasshoppers. Is that how they saw them? They probably did not interview anybody. And yet 10 out of the 12 come back with a cognitive bias that says this land is beyond our reach. It is beyond our God. There is no way we should go enter. This is not for us. I'm not even sure why we're here. And two said this is what God's been bringing us to. Same scenario. The facts are not different, but the filters your cognitive bias shades how you see things. And look at your neighbor. I want you to look at your neighbor, like legit, and say, you have cognitive biases. Now, look back at your neighbor, and I want you to tell them that they have cognitive biases as well. Because this is the truth. We all do. 
we all come into life with some cognitive biases. Now, here's the real question. We can recognize cognitive biases in other people, but can you see it in yourself? The answer is probably not, because if you could, you wouldn't have it. That's why it's so important for us to think about what we think about. You cannot defeat an enemy that you cannot define. Asking probing questions to explore why you think the way you think and what you think about is vital to a healthy mental life. Social psychologists have a name for beginning to take control of your cognitive biases and beginning to reframe them. It's called cognitive reframing. See how that works? It's pretty easy. So I'm going to take my cognitive biases and I'm going to begin to try to reframe them in a way. But I want you to picture with me, because I know you're all imaginative, um, that on my left-hand side is like a huge picture of a storm cloud. How many of you have seen the storms the last couple days? This should be easy to recall, right? Uh, so a huge storm cloud, big storm, dark, spooky, okay? And on the right side of me, or your left, okay, this, this side of me, okay? And so like on this side of me, like clear skies, sunny and bright. How many of you live in Tucson? Okay, so you should be able to picture that because like we have 300 plus days of that a year, right? If you wake up in the morning and say, this is going to be a, a cruddy day. This is just going to be so rough. I am so tired right now. I'm so exhausted. The coworkers I work with, I don't even know how they got hired here. I'm like just... I am carrying this department, and I'm not sure, like, they're okay people, like, they smile occasionally, but I don't know how to deal with them, and they're just too much, okay? And just, like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with my finances. I, I just got all this kind of stuff, and you wake up, and you've got a cloudy frame, or you could wake up, and you've got a bright flame, a bright frame, and you're kind of saying, okay, listen, I got challenges today. And I got a lot to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm running on fumes a little bit, but you know what? I got a good God who's with me. He's going to empower me. Uh, I'm going to make it through. The coworkers, I, I like them. They're good. Sometimes, okay, well, John, you know, but, but anyway, like, just, like, they're good people. They, they, they care about our company. We want to see it do well, and so we're going to work together as a team. We're going to all pull. We're going to make it happen. We're going to pull this off. You're framing your day. And friend, you get to do that. I get to do that. No one can really do that for you. You get to frame it. And so as you work at this idea, let me just give you a definition of reframing, uh, cognitive reframing. Here's a definition for it. Creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing its meaning. Our frame is how we see things. Cognitive bias says, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to predetermine how I'm going to interpret this. My filter is changing that. But reframing says I'm going to choose to let go of old perceptions that have not worked, and I'm going to choose a different, more godly, more truthful, more productive way of seeing things. See, reframing your past or pre-framing your future can literally change your life. Think about your life, the season of life you're in. Think about your expectations. 
For some of you, you're here, you're single, uh, ready to mingle, and that's awesome. Uh, for some of you, you're, you're hitched, and, and like you're together. So for some of you, you are, are maybe somewhere in your journey, somewhere young, somewhere older, wherever you think about your life, your season of life. When you think about it, are there some expectations that you had that you wish you had accomplished at this point? Like, if you were to go back in time and go, hey, when I hit this age, when I hit this season, this is what it's going to look like. And for some of you, maybe you've hit a lot of those things. For others of you, maybe you hit them and then it retreated a little bit. And maybe for others of you, you have those expectations and you're like, you're here. And you're like, why am I still here? Like, I don't understand, like, I thought I'd be here, and I'm, I'm here, and you fill in the blank for what that may be, but you may be on that journey where you're trying to figure out, how did I get here? Why am I not where I wanted to be? And if you're not careful, if you live with a cognitive bias, if you don't do the hard work of reframing things, you, it's very easy in our cultural backdrop to begin to drift towards seeing things on the left side. I am not where I expected to be, and therefore, I have failed. Therefore, I am whatever, you fill in the blanks. You start the writing your own narrative. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to reframe some things. Maybe I'm not where I thought I'd be, but I, I know who's with me, and, and I know the progress I've made, and I know the progress I can still make in that. And so reframing becomes really, really important here. And, and maybe just to give you a little bit of a biblical context, let's look at the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, if you don't know, wrote half of your New Testament. God inspired him, used him to write half of our New Testament, uh, was a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, was actually overseeing the persecution of the church, until Jesus showed up and had a conversation with him and said, Paul, Paul, why do you, like Saul, his name was Saul first, why do you persecute me? Uh, Jesus gets a hold of Saul, changes his name to Paul, sets him out as a missionary. He actually plants churches all over the Mediterranean and begins to get movement into this movement called the church or the way, the way of Jesus. And so this whole movement of Jesus begins to gain traction a lot because of Paul who was not on that trajectory at first, and then Paul, because he's a missionary, he so desperately wants to go to Rome. Why? Because Rome is the seat of all activity in that region at the time. Rome's where it all happens, and where it all begins to spread out across the world, and he wants to get to Rome to preach and to begin to have the biggest impact he can have for Jesus because Jesus has changed his life, and he longs so much to get to Rome. Now, here's the challenging part. Paul ends up in Rome, but not as a preacher, as a prisoner. And he shows up as a prisoner under house arrest where every eight hours, a new Roman guard is chained to him to keep watch over him as he awaits a possible execution. So Paul, I want to go to Rome, I want to preach, gets to Rome, is a prisoner under house arrest, a guard chained to him. Do you think his expectations were dashed a little bit? Do you think your expectations would be dashed a little bit? 
How many of you have had your expectations dashed? We all have. And in that moment, you can either lean into a cognitive bias or you can lean into cognitive reframing. Listen to what Paul does. Because Paul actually writes a letter to the church of Philippi, the the book of Philippians, which is a book about joy from a prisoner. Hello. Um, That doesn't coalesce or go together. But he writes that. In the very first chapter, here's what he says. He doesn't write to the church of Philippi, this sucks! That's what I would write. Luckily, I didn't write any of your Bible. Paul... He writes this, verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Jesus. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. This is written in 62 AD. Think about it. Don't miss this. This is Paul, who's under house arrest. And you know his attitude? Every eight hours, they send me a new guard that has to listen to me. How awesome is that? These guys are the upper echelon. They hang out with Caesar. Like, they are the movers and shakers of this this whole region. And I get a new one every eight hours. Woo! They come to me. He's like Ric Flair in this moment. Like, it's just, that's a total wrestling joke. If you didn't get it, look it up. Okay, so, um, man, that was good. That was not my notes. Okay, so... Every eight hours, right? So Paul's writing this in 62 AD. Listen, listen, listen. 251 years later, do you know what happens? Constantine writes the Edict of Milan, which accepts Christianity. What was Rome trying to do to Christianity in that moment? Stamp it out. Crush it. Is Rome still around? Nope, bye-bye. Who outlasted and outplayed mighty Rome? Christians, the church, and 251 years later, Constantine says, we accept Christianity. And 10 years after that, it becomes the official religion of the whole entire country of Rome and the empire. Did Paul have a part in that? Heck yeah, he did. Was it the way he thought it would be? No. But he reframed it because of the power of Jesus, not his own internal power. What Paul teaches us about reframing is he's reframing because Christ is the one who is changing him, the one who is guiding him, the one who is shaping him. He is letting Christ reshape and reframe how he sees things. It's not just about his gumption. He is partnered with the power of Christ to reframe what's happening around him. And with the time I've got left, I want to help you and me get better at reframing. So I want to give you two tools with that. Paul dealt with stuff. How many of you deal with stuff? I deal with stuff. We all deal with stuff. 
There's stuff with your work, with your health, with your family, with your past, with your future, financial woes, life stressors, relational conflicts. There's not a week that goes by that you aren't dealing with stuff. So much of your life, I bet if you're honest, is pretty good until stuff happens. And then it kind of can get you sidelined or get you stuck emotionally unless we can learn how to reframe to begin to help. I don't know if that, okay. Um, a couple tools to help with that. How do you begin to reframe, begin to change your cognitive bias with a healthy, godly filter? I, I think, let me give you two practices that if you and I can get better at just making these rhythms of our life as we live kind of the way of Jesus, I'm telling you, I think this is what Paul stumbled on in the book of Philippians. Just read the whole book of Philippians. It'll blow your mind this guy's writing from prison because it doesn't feel like it because he's learned the power of letting Christ begin to reframe things. Here's the first practice. Thanking God for what happened and what didn't happen. Thankfulness has got to become a Thanksgiving habit. Not around the holiday, eat your turkey, it's awesome. I love it. Um, but like have a Thanksgiving habit. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says. Give thanks in some circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did I read that correctly? I'm sorry, what does it say? Give thanks in certain circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? No, no, maybe I'm missing a word here. Give thanks in, oh, y'all are playing along, good. Thank, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for your life is? To give thanks. He just told you. There are seven places in the scripture that says this is God's will for you. I grew up thinking, what is God's will for my life? Who should I marry? What job should I get? Where should I live? No, no, okay. <clears throat> God's going to be in all that. But he's got things for you to do. This is one of them. Live with a thanksgiving kind of heart, an attitude of gratitude. Make this a rhythm of your life because it will help you begin to frame things properly, begin to see things properly, and not allow cognitive biases or negative or faulty thinking to begin to guide you. This is not a suggestion. This is a specific will and command for your life as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, do whatever you want. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. It's for me. It's not a suggestion. It's not like a suggestion box. Hey, what do you think about it? Give thanks. No, no. Like, this is to be in the attitude of gratitude that's to mark your life. Now, thanking God for what he's done, the good things in your life, maybe you need to take some time. What if you just did uh, once a week a little journal entry or a note in your phone? Hey, God, here's what I'm thankful for. Take five minutes. I'm promising you, you just kind of get in the rhythm of doing this. It's going to help shade the way you see things because how you see things is impacted by how you filter things. And if your filter is beginning to change to be more thankful, I'm telling you, you're going to see God's activity a lot more in your life. And it's going to begin to frame things not more from a negative standpoint to a more positive side. I promise you, it works. It happens. But also thank God, not just for what he's done, but maybe for something that didn't happen. Think back over your life and see, maybe in hindsight, that God was protecting you, providing for you in a different way, at work in your life in a different way than maybe you were asking for, but at work nonetheless. 
Maybe you need to go back and rewrite some of the narratives that you've been telling yourself because of the ache that was in that moment. And in hindsight, looking back, maybe you've got a better, more holistic perspective of how God was actually at work when you thought he was absent or you thought he was distant or distracted. And actually, he was maybe a whole lot more active than you gave him credit for. Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your ways, and and my ways higher than your ways. See, we are wise when we trust that God is working, even when we aren't aware of it. We are also wise when we trust the way he is working, even when it isn't the way that you wanted. See, instead, we can feel like a victim in random circumstances and the chaos of the world around us, or we can see that, hey, you know what? Maybe God's protecting me from something, and maybe he's even protecting me from myself. For some of you, you might look back over your life and you would say, man, that season of life was horrific. God was absent. I was a mess. And maybe some of the things he took away, maybe some of the things he protected you from, he was actually guarding you even from yourself because of how destructive you were actually being and you didn't even see it. You just thought you had freedom and that you were running. And he's saying, listen, you're running down a dead end. And so I'm going to do some things that are inconvenience because I actually love you enough to give a darn and I care and I'm going to protect you even from yourself right now. Now, you still have free will. You can still do what you want. You're a big boy, big girl. Do what you want. But tell me 10 years from now, did that get you where you wanted to go? Maybe not. Maybe not. And maybe God was actually more active than you gave him credit for in that moment. Uh, we drive by the, the corner of La Choya and Orange Grove occasionally. Um, and every time I drive by that corner, I'm reminded of God's goodness to our family at what didn't happen. See, Amy and I were at a Christmas party a few years ago, and we get a phone call from a frantic little girl. Mom, Dad, we were in an accident. I don't even know where we are but I think I'm okay, but there's lots of cops and ambulances and fire trucks here. And as a mom and dad, party over, tracking the phone, we're on our way. And I got a phone call, Amy got a phone call from our youngest. You know what I'm thankful for? The brokenness in her voice. Why? Because I could hear her voice. Because when I showed up and saw the car, I shouldn't have heard her voice. There's no way those six people should have walked away from that with just cuts and bruises and one broken leg. It's unfathomable to me how that happened. But for the grace of God and his goodness. And I can look at that accident in one way and go, God, where were you? How come you allowed that to happen? Or I can look at it from the way and say, God, thank you for protecting. 
because that should not be. And so I want to become intentional. See, if you learn to step back from your life a little bit, expand your perspective around God's goodness and activity, and not just zero in on the bad and the difficult and the challenging, because it's so easy to get stuck there, especially in a world that loves to foster negativity and brokenness and the hurt and the pain. And listen, that's all real. I'm not trying to ignore that. This isn't ignoring that. But this is saying maybe there's more to the story than just that. Even in your life, friend. See, you will find what you're looking for, which leads to the second tool. Look for God's goodness. Make it a rhythm and a pattern and a practice in your life to look for the goodness of God. You will have challenges. The Bible says so. There are challenges that you're facing. They are legit and they are very real. You might have situations that are difficult and cause you a lot of questions, but friends, God is always at work around you. And if you look for it, you will see it. I want you to think of the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. Two totally different birds. Vultures soar high in the sky searching. What do vultures find? What do they find? Roadkill, dead things, rancid meat. That's what they find. Vultures can sniff out a dead critter from more than a mile away. They've been known to fly 30 to 50 miles in search of rotten food. Now contrast that with the hummingbird. With wings that flap 20 beats per second. Hello, that's fast. The small birds, what do they find? They don't find rancid, disgusting meat. They find sweet, life-giving nectar. Daily, each bird finds what it's looking for. And so will you. You'll find what you're looking for. If you want to find what's bad, what's wrong, what's not working, what's flawed and broken in the world, guess what? You will. Instead, if you want to look for where God is working and see that God is still on his throne, that he is still moving around you and within you and still present and active and able to help and God still answers prayer and that he's with you no matter what, you'll find that too. Cognitive reframing is empowering you and Jesus to determine the meaning of a situation or past circumstance or a future that's coming your way. And together with you and Jesus, you can begin to reframe what happened to you or what's in the process of happening as you live life. When we reframe what happened in our yesterdays, it can begin to change our todays and our tomorrows. Here's the takeaway for today. You cannot control what happens to you completely but you can control how you frame it. You have that power to do that. And you have the power of Jesus as a follower of him to go back and begin to reframe past scenarios, present realities, and the future that unfolds in front of you. But you and I have to learn to partner with God you will have cognitive bias. Now, for some of you, you may have a filter in life, a frame that was thrust upon you, 
Uh, maybe it was your dad who said you'd never amount to anything, a mother who made you feel unattractive or overweight even when you lost weight, I mean, it's kids at school who told you uh, to accept the fact that you're going to be a loser, a grandparent who insisted that, hey, rich people uh, are not important and, and you'll never be uh, a person who makes it in this life. Maybe you have a cognitive bias that was constructed by other people and you chose to believe it, but you don't have to you can actually begin to reframe. You get to choose what filters and frames you utilize to see and experience the world. So here's the simple questions as we close. Are there any stories in your past that you need to go back and surrender to God and have him help you reframe? Ways that maybe he was a lot more active in the background than you ever gave him credit for. And you actually held it against him. But he actually protected you from yourself and from the reality of what was going on around you. Maybe he orchestrated people and circumstances that began to unfold to, to woo you to himself. Like in your past life, you were like, God smod, nothing to do with him. And yet he was actually more active in your life, beginning to put people in your life to make you aware of his reality. And today your life is different because of that. And maybe you just didn't see it at the time. See, we're not going to interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. We're interpreting our circumstances through the goodness of God. He comes first. And so you begin to put the truth of Scripture all over your life and let that begin to reframe you. You want to look for God's filter. God is an ever-present God who is active with you, friend. As a follower of Jesus, that's his promise. He's never going to leave you nor abandon you. The cross of Jesus says grace is for you. It's for your yesterdays. It's for your today. And he's got you for your tomorrows. The hope that Jesus is coming back to make things right one day and you'll get to live eternity with him, that's the promise that begins to have an unflappable kind of hope even when the circumstances around you are challenging. You can begin to reframe the reality and actually begin to see reality instead of a, a made-up one based on your cognitive biases. And so, friends, God, that's what we pray. We want to become people that can reframe. And Jesus, that takes your power. That takes your presence. That takes your activity. That takes your grace to invade those areas of brokenness where the broken soundtracks play. That takes your calming presence to come into the chaos of our past and to begin to help rewrite and reframe some of the narratives that we bought into where the enemy has said, this is the reality and it's nowhere true. So Father, I pray for each one of us. Reframing is not an easy thing. It takes work. It takes some serious conversation of leaning into you. It can take some therapy. It can take some conversation with friends to begin to, to make progress in this. But God, we want to be healthy people who have healthy thoughts, begin to see the world the way you do. And so as we sing this final song together, God, would you just go to work, Holy Spirit? Show us maybe an area of life, a narrative that we bought into that we need to do some work on reframing. And Jesus, would you pour in the power, so much like you did for Paul, to help us see it from your perspective. 
to see your presence and your power, your activity in a way that can help. So Father, we give this next song, this next moment and space to do some reminding work for us on what you want to help us take steps in. Yeah. 
When I hid from you, you still call out my name. And when my flesh is weak, would you help me see that you are all that I need? You are all that I need. Father God, we sing to you tonight in this place. And we want to be all about you, Father. We want to be real. We want to be genuine. We want to see your kingdom come here in this place. Amen, church. Let's sing out. I'm in the lead now. Sorry, wow. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> we do giving around here a little bit different. So if you're new, maybe been coming the last few weeks, uh, we don't pass a plate or anything. If you'd like to be a financial partner in the mission and vision of the church, uh, we'd invite you to, to do that in a couple different ways. There's giving boxes in the back. You can give online. A lot of folks do that. Uh, as we go into the fall, just encourage you to be thinking about maybe an e-group or a discipleship group to connect with. If you're new, we can talk about finding out more things about that. How many of you are volunteer with us in some way, shape, or form? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are doing a volunteer rally this coming Saturday evening, and we'd love to feed your face and celebrate with you. And uh, if you like food and you've been thinking about maybe wanting to join a volunteer team, 
we'll even let you come too. Uh, but in the app, you can actually let us know and you can register for that. And that way we have enough food for you. And so uh, we'd love to invite you to that. 10 minute party happens in about 32 seconds, right back there. Karen's there, I'll be there. Love to meet you. If you're new, if you're online, drop a note. Matt will follow up with you. We'll get back with you. And uh, we do have a group that goes out to dinner every uh, Sunday night. Tonight is Barrow's Pizza on, what road is that? Wilmot, on Wilmot, uh, borrows pizza there. If you want to join that group, uh, you're welcome to do that. Let me just ask God's blessing over us as we go. Father, would you help us to reframe, to see life, to see our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, to see the stuff that happens from your perspective and with your power and your presence alongside us every step of the way we pray. In Jesus' name. God bless you, friends. We'll see you next week. Wrap up the series together. I'll meet you at the 10-minute party.